Hello, I'm Rachel Lyman, and we want to welcome you to our 2023 Interfaith Connection podcast. This is a Spiritual Life Center monthly podcast dedicated to the exploration of faith traditions that promote love. Rev. Dave Lyman is my partner in marriage and also my senior minister partner for our Interfaith Explorers organization. We're both so excited to be starting our third year of podcasts on this grand adventure. Our goal this year is to explore and make new friends at faith communities in the greater Sacramento region where interfaith continues to grow. We also want to encourage your feedback as you participate in interfaith events and field trips, read our newsletter and listen to our monthly podcasts. So as we say each year, buckle up and get ready for the exciting year ahead. Good morning, listeners. This is Dave Lyman, and this is the August podcast for Interfaith Connections. And this is a sweet one. For a number of years, as I served at Spiritual Life Center, I reported directly to one of my very best friends and the one that I consider to have all the blame for me being a minister. She is the one that had me think about it, and it ended up happening. And so today, we're going to be interviewing Reverend Christine Bouton, who spent nine years at SLC and another six on the board. And what I love is that she is a seeker, a quest seeker. Um, she has explored so many ways and places, and we're going to explore that today. Good morning, Christine. Good morning, Davey. So what I wanted to start off with was what what was religion like in your, your family growing up? Was, was there a religion? Did you get involved in it? Yes. Um, well, I grew up in Spokane, Washington. And, you know, considering myself, myself a small town girl and our family uh, attended a Catholic church, uh, always at uh, Easter and Christmas. And sometimes um, when my mother was really motivated, we'd get to, uh, you know, the Catholic CCD, which was like a Sunday school program for uh, Catholic kids. So, um, yeah, that was my main experience of uh structured religion as a little girl. And as we went through the process of, you know, we, we have this elementary area we go to and then suddenly puberty hits. Mm -hmm. and, and it seems like at that point in time, we start to have deeper thoughts about how things fit together uh, sometimes. And and what happened for you? What did you start to, uh, to wonder? Did you start to think about how did you... Uh, uh, as you started to grow into your teen years, start to think? Well, I remember in high school that I got involved with an organization called Campus Crusade for Christ. And, you know, that, that was kind of the so-called born-again Christian um, movement. And it was a really, um, for the most part, a really positive experience. Um, I would say, uh, for some reason, it it spoke to me more than the really, you know, kind of structured kind of um, ancient or dogmatic, you know, Catholic um, tradition. But uh, after attending, after, you know, being involved for a while, I, it, it really affected me. I, it, it touched me at some level and kind of, um, and I can remember uh, feeling you know, my mom would come home from work and say, oh, I come home from work and everybody's high. Your brother's smoking pot. You're on a, a religious high. And, you know, the neighbors are having cocktails. <laughs> <laughs> but I was experiencing kind of my first religious high, being involved with this organization. And Dave, it kind of scared me. It was like this really strong feelings that I didn't know what to do with. And so after a while, I kind of um, walked away from that because I, it was just um, intense. 
And so at some point in time, it seems like with all that you have done, you turned around and went, wait a minute, I'm not going to walk away anymore. What changed? Well, you know, I think I just got a little older and, and was ready. You know, I, I can remember, you know, some other experiences that were, I would call spiritual experiences as a little girl that weren't scary for me. I can remember lying on the grass, you know, um, probably as a young teenager and just watching the clouds like we do, you know, uh, sometimes as kids, especially in, in small town America. And I uh, was noticing the, the wind in the treetops, you know, moving the wind and kind of the pattern and the beauty of it. And then lying there and realizing, oh, when I, when I walk along the river in my hometown, I see this same movement happening, the same energy um, Um. You have faded away, Christine. Christine is uh, so excited that oh. suddenly her voice isn't there. There it is. I'm sorry. Are we back? We are back. That spiritual sure break was brought to you to by God. Here. Hang on a second. You got me now? I do. Yes. David. Can you hear me? I can hear you. And I can hear you. All right. Uh, so I will proceed. I'm sorry. I'm not sure where we got cut off, but. Um, you were looking at the movement of the trees and seeing a continuity with it from walking on the river or laying in the grass. Yeah. So I was, uh, you know, noticing that there was the same movement happening in the, uh, in the, in the wind or in the water and it was a first of awareness of everything being energy. And I didn't have the words for it at the time, but, you know, everything's energy. It's either light, sound, or movement, or vibration. And so that was some of my earlier really spiritual experience that um, uh, that wasn't scary to me. <laughs> um, so... So when did the quest, when, when did the quest start? When did you start going, oh, there's a workshop or there's this? And, and one of the other alternate questions I have kind of on a segue is you were a river raft guide. And I have to ask, did you find some spirituality there? Yes, in my in my uh mid to late 20s, I I uh, got involved in whitewater uh, rafting and actually rafted the Colorado River through the Grand Canyon, which, again, was a very spiritual experience because I, I found uh, when I was young and still today that I really experienced my connection to all there is to, to God, to spirit in nature. And so the whitewater experience was a very big part of that in my early years. And, uh, um, you know, I so many stories to tell, but I think that might take us off on a tangent. <laughs> so what's the first workshop you ever did? Well, you know, I, in my, so I, um, you know, grew up in Spokane, but then I moved to Sacramento with my employer. I worked for Hewlett Packard for uh, 25 years and I moved to Sacramento in 1988 and um, started doing personal growth seminars in my mid thirties, you know, I had, I had, uh, been successful in my career and, uh, you know, had the, the house and the car and the boat and the family, but I found there was still something missing. And so started going to these personal, uh, personal growth workshops and, in one of those, 
um, I can remember we did an exercise and we, you know, we had our eyes closed and, you know, we were, um, getting quiet. And the question that the facilitator asked it is, who are you? And they kept asking, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? And at one point I really surprised my, myself when the answer was, I'm a child of God. And it was like, where did that come from? Because I had, you know, walked away from religion for so long, at least organized religion. And that really started the whole ball rolling of looking inside about, well, who, who am I really? And, um, one of the things that happened in one of those seminars is they, they created, they did all kinds of experiences to kind of, you know, open us up and look inside. And one of those was doing breath work. And um, that, you know, I really, at that point in my life, was so open to experiencing new things. And anytime I experienced something that that really uh, felt like there was uh, some meaning in it or it really appealed to me, I would just follow it, you know, with my whole heart. And it's like, Let's just follow my heart and see what happens. And so I had uh, this experience doing breath work in one of these personal growth seminars. And, you know, it's a holotropic breath where you lie down and do accelerated circular breathing. And um, it's a very, can be a very powerful and mystical experience even. And it certainly was for me. And uh, when we finished that exercise, it had this really profound experience. And I can remember asking the facilitator, what was that and how do I learn more about it? And so um, they said, well, you know, th- there's books written about it. You could probably go to the library, the bookstore and, you know, find out more about it. And so I did that and I went to a, a bookstore and up on a top shelf in the, you know, self-help or spirituality book section there was a dusty book on the top shelf and I pulled that down and it was uh I think it was rebirthing in the new age by Sandra Ray and Leonard Orr and um I opened the back of the book and there was a phone number and I thought well this book was written like 25 years ago where what are the chances that this phone number is still good well sure enough I call the phone number and it's Sandra Ray's organization, and they are still conducting rebirthing sessions. I found someone near me, and so I started going and having individual sessions, um, and then eventually decided to take the coursework and get certified to be a rebirther myself. What a journey. So it was a very interesting time in my life, and it really... Uh, like most of these experiences I have had, one thing has led to another. And um, that one uh, led me to many uh, amazing um, discoveries in my life. I do want to point out, though, that uh, in all of this, you have this wondrous yes attitude. Uh, and saying yes will take you places you never imagined. It certainly has. Again, you know, small town girl, I've really traveled quite a bit around the world and ex- explored and experienced many different cultures and belief systems, which have, you know, just fascinate me. And I have been really deeply blessed um, by all those experiences. How did you end up in India? Well, India, I was led to India because of the breath work. And, um, So the first time I went to India was in 1996, and it was with um, Sandra Ray's group. She led groups there because she was trained in this breath work um, by a a, um, Hindu teacher or guru. His name was uh, Babaji, and she actually worked with him when he was alive and in his body. But when I went to India, he had passed on but a lot of the people we there was a group the group that I went with had people from several different countries were a large group um uh probably mm, I would say oh well over 100 people 
because we when we would go places we'd have to be on two buses but um they were all people who had been studying this breath work with uh, Saranda Ray and so I went to India in 1996 here I was you know a, a manager a senior manager working in corporate America and I get on the plane and go to um India for five weeks so the how that happened was um i had called the people that i had been doing breath work with to see about scheduling a session with them and um they said well we're going to be in and i said i want to go in october there they said oh we're going to be in india in october and the minute they said it i knew i'm going <laughs> and so as it turns out i uh, celebrated my 40th birthday in india <laughs> in an ashram of all places <laughs> wow Yes. So we went there, um, you know, we stopped in the bigger cities and, you know, saw the Taj Mahal and some of the, you know, sites that you don't want to miss when you go to India. But basically we went up into the foothills of the Himalayas to an ashram called Harakon and we lived the life of a devotee for over a month. So we wore, wore the traditional clothing we practiced um, the spiritual practices. So we would get up at 4.30 in the morning and this was up in the, you know, hills in the forest. So we get up early in the morning, 4.30, walk down to the river and bathe in the river, which was complex because the women needed to keep clothes. So we had to kind of bathe in this very cold, It was it's the headwaters of the Ganges River. Um, so, which is a very, the most sacred river in India. Um, so we would go and bathe in the river and the, the men would go downstream. And of course they were allowed to take off their clothes and get in the water, but the women, we had to have these like slips underneath our, um, saris that we'd have to take, um, we'd have to bathe around this slip in the river that was cling, clinging to us because we couldn't, you know, uh, be exposed. So anyway, we would do that every morning at four thirty, and then come back, and then we would get the ritual blessing. And you know, you may have seen it with the Hindu tradition, where you have um, a bindi here and some other um, markings that have significance. And then we would go into the temple and have arti every morning, which is their spiritual, you know, ceremony. And we'd recite the words, you know, in all in Sanskrit every morning and um chant and do that all before breakfast and then we'd have breakfast and do our seva which is like sacred service each day and mine my particular job was uh cleaning the 110 steps from the ashram down to the river so and we're in the middle of this kind of jungle. <laughs> and so there's kind of some mold because it's, you know, a jungle. And uh, uh, so every morning I'd go and do a section of those stairs with my little wire brush and clean, 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 clean. And people would be going up and down next to me. And, um, you know, we'd be giving each other greetings and I'm just working away. And um, I, it's, funny story later i found out that there were actually tigers in those forests <laughs> i'm really glad i didn't know it at the time <laughs> wow because a village woman had been carried off at one point so but anyway my guardian angels were looking out for me but yes so cleaning the, the stairs was uh, my my seva while i was there and then was once i got them clean i helped whitewash them so those stairs look great when i left <laughs> So what was your biggest culture shock in those five weeks? The culture shock, well, I, I think it was really all of it because everything was different. How we dressed, how we ate, you know, you would sit on the floor and we um, and we would have um, these plates that are basically banana leaves and you'd eat with your hands and, you know, it, the meals are vegetarian, but you really didn't know what you were eating <laughs> other than the bread, which is called chapati. It's a flat bread that they bake. Um, and 
ovens outside. So your clothing was different. What you ate and how you ate was different. Um, you know, your schedule was different. We'd be up early and, um, you know, going through all these rituals, you know, in, in my Catholic upbringing, you went to church on Sunday, you know, if that, at least Easter and Christmas, but this throughout the day, because you would do the RT in the morning, but then you would do it again in the afternoon. So you, it really was. And then when you're doing your Seva, you would usually be chanting or, um, so you were really, it was a living, walking kind of meditation. Um, and so, uh, yes, it was everything about it. When I got home, you know, after five weeks of this experience, well, first of all, I had lost quite a bit of weight because I, at one point, want, kind of went on a spontaneous fast. They were having, uh, I was there during a time called Shivaratri, which is a festival. And it's either, it's there's three parts to it, three, six, nine day total. And they told us, you know, you can fast if you want. Um, there's different levels of fasting and a juice fast, juice and, wa juice and water fast being the most, you know, severe. And I thought, oh, I'm not going to do that. You know, that's like, I, I'm doing all this work. I need, you know, my energy. But at one point, I just, the thought of food became so, so repulsive to me that I couldn't eat. And so I... Whatever was going on there and energetically, I just, I couldn't eat. And so I fasted and, um, a friend of mine who went along with me, she would be so worried. She'd say, please at night, please eat something, you know, just a cookie. Anything. <laughs> it's like, I, I just can't thought of it, you know? Um, but then, you know, um, when this, when this, uh, the nine days were over, I began eating again and, uh, never felt better. You know, it was a great purification, but interesting what happens when we're in the energy of these really powerful energy of these places. Well, talk about, you know, uh, speaking to that, speak about the, the Ganges experience. Well, I kind of had two experiences. Uh, so I went to India twice. I went once in 1996 and then again uh, with a different group in 2007, I believe it was. Um, 1996, uh, I was up at the headwaters and it, it was this, you know, kind of raging mountain stream, beautiful. And, uh, at one point we even forded across it to get to meditate in this cave where the teacher Babaji was, um, believed to have incarnated into the life. Uh, anyway, so I did that once waited across the Ganges and into this cave. And they only let us stay in there a short time because they said the energy was so strong that it wasn't good to stay in there a long time. And as it turns out, by the time I waded back across the river, I was sick. <laughs> and I was sick for several days. Um, and there, the, the group of people I was with, um, many, there were many healers of different kind sorts um, from different countries and everybody worked on me. But, um, you know, it wasn't going away. And, uh, you know, so I ended up seeing this healer that was a member of the ashram who had this little kind of earthen uh, room underneath the ashram on the side of the hill. And I went in and it was kind of this typical shaman's, you know, hut with drying thing, you know, dried herbs and things hanging from the ceilings. and all different kinds of things. And, um, he didn't speak English. And of course I didn't, couldn't talk to him, but he took one look at me and he kind of looked around me and he took his, um, condor wing off the wall and started just kind of like dusting me like all around, around me. And as he was doing this, I could feel the, um, dis ease the the, um, you know, sickness leaving me. And I walked out of there feeling just fine. So again, you know, I, I can't, I can't tell you what happened, but I experienced it and um, it was a pretty amazing thing. So the Ganges is, uh, I can tell you more about the other um, 
you know, the Ganges uh, is very sacred to the Indian people. Um, they will, a, a family will save up money for years so that their um, family member can be cremated and then launched um, onto the Ganges on a funeral ghat. Uh, and so I've experienced that when I w- went the second time with my teacher, Sai Ma, and uh, the ashram we stayed at there uh, was kind of on the path. So we used uh, to towards the river. So we'd see daily um, funeral processions going to the Ganges. So you go to the the steps of the Ganges and you'd see people ritually bathing. You'd be seeing these funeral gods being sent out, um, you know, um, and, and lit a flame. Um, it was, it was very interesting, but also I saw the humanity that was happening in that river and it wasn't this beautiful mountain stream like I'd seen up in uh, the foothills. Uh, later we went to a, um, on that trip to a festival, um, and, and, and I'm forgetting the name of it right now, the Kumbha Mela, where millions upon millions of people come for this spiritual um, festival. Um, it's a somewhat downstream from um, Varanasi, where I, the city where I was at the ashram the second time. But, um, you know, everyone was, we we're going there to stay for a few days and be part of the festival with Saima and her uh, group. And everyone was talking about how they were going to get in the Ganges and have this ritual bath that was supposed to be, you know, very beneficial. And I'm thinking, I'm not getting in that water. I see how dirty it is. But again, you know, so much for thinking I know know what I know. We got there and as people are preparing to get in and do the ritual bath, I just, again, felt so compelled. So I end up going in and having the ritual bath in the river. And at one point, you know, I, you, you kind of plug your nose in your ears. There's a method you use to do it and go under and submerge. And I did that. And when I came back up out of the water, I look and there's these beautiful flowers floating up to me. And I'm just like, wow, that's so cool. So I get, I get out and we again, dry off. Um, um, and you know, we, we have these little makeshift shelters so, so we can dry off and put on clean clothes at the riverbank. And I was mentioning to someone, oh, this flower floated it to me in there. Oh, that is very, you know, good medicine, so to speak. <laughs> and I just, I don't know. But the good news is I didn't get sick that time, <laughs> even though the water, I mean, the water felt crystal clean. It didn't look that way, but it felt energetically very um, clean and bright. Go figure. <laughs> you know, it's almost as if uh, it was a sacred. We forget as we go through life that we set up assumptions of what a sacred space looks like. Mm-hmm. And a sacred space is whatever a sacred space is. Yes. Um, beyond what we see with just our, uh, what we experience with just our five senses. Yep. Yep. So, and boy, did, did you get some great feedback on that? Yes, definitely. Ranging from a, a, a huge river to a condor wing. <laughs> All of them. So then, then suddenly um, I I see, and we talked about that you did some studying with a Hawaiian shaman. Yes, I did. You know, again, I met him through the breath work. Um, I actually went to a workshop. So one of the uh, other uh, people that I was doing breath work with, and I think she taught part of the coursework that I went through, uh, she lived in Omaha, Nebraska. And she had this relationship uh, with um, Stanley Hugh Lin. His spiritual name is E. Haleakala. And uh, he's worked with a lot of people um, teaching the Hawaiian uh, spiritual practice that is called Ho'oponopono. And it's become much more popular in the Western world. Um, When I did this, this was, you know, 20 some years ago, and it wasn't as well known. But um, 
anyway, I met him of, of all places in Omaha, Nebraska, and he did the Ho'oponopono training. And um, it's, you know, an ancient Hawaiian tradition and the full training um well the full practice is really it's a 12 step process i know that's been modified i know that um dr hugh lynn has worked with other kind of famous authors and helped kind of modify it and simplify it for kind of um western mass consumption <laughs> but i did the old fashioned way <laughs> with go. him and um uh, it's a really sweet process. Um, it's basically, you know, there's there's uh, things in all traditions that really, you know, there's a kind of a common thread. If you uh, what what I've noticed, um, you know, they have a kind of a trinity um, in the Hawaiian tradition. It's it's not Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. It's like we learned in the Catholic tradition. It's um, Mother, Father, and Child. Um, but this 12-step process really was, uh, Stanley called it cleaning, you know, do your cleaning. Um, and I can remember him teaching us in class, like drawing little, um, a head and drawing little E's. And it's like, these are all errors in our, in our thinking. And, and so this is a cleaning process to help um, correct the errors in our thinking. And, um, so you're working with each day you, you do the 12 step process and basically you're writing down everything that comes into your consciousness. And it, there's a, a way to kind of work through that is like, what about, you know, with people close to you, with people you work with, with the organizations you work with, with, with big, um, companies or, or, or the government and anything you're going to be going to do that day. And basically the idea, um, or, or my interpretation of it, is that we are really responsible for everything that we're aware of. And I can remember sitting in the class the first time he was teaching that, feeling kind of shock and horror at the idea that I'm responsible for everything in my awareness, the impact of that. I'm thinking, you mean when I drive down the street and I see litter on the ground that I'm responsible for that and just feeling really overwhelmed by the idea and just trying to take it in. But as I worked with it, I realized, you know, this is the good news because if I'm responsible for my reality and what I'm creating, if I don't like it, I can change it. I can work with it, which is the whole point, right? So um, that's their practice is, is designed to do that. And, um, it's, it's really a beautiful tradition. And I really loved spending time with E. Haleakala, Stanley Hewlin. Um, one time I was at home and thinking, you know, I'm feeling like I'd really like to spend some more time with him. And, uh, I get a call from my friend, actually it was Sheila again, that originally introduced me and saying, she's saying, I'm going to take a group to Stonehenge. Do you want to come? And I said, you know, I'd like to go to Stonehenge someday, but I'm really feeling like I want to spend time with Haleakala, you know, Stanley. And she said, she just started giggling on the other end of the line. And I said, what's so funny about that? And she said, he's coming to Stonehenge with us. <laughs> <laughs> so guess where I went next? <laughs> <laughs> to Stonehenge. To Stonehenge with a Hawaiian shaman, because isn't that what everybody does? <laughs> you, you know what's really lovely on all of this, Christine, is that none of it's confrontational. None of the none of the learnings, at least from your descriptions, none of the learnings negate other learnings that you're doing no and and all the teachers i've worked with have been very you know it's it's not oh this is the only way it's it's like um you know try this out and they would always be curious about you know uh what i was taught as a child um there was room for it all you know I, i'm remembering a story in my first trip to uh 
India, at one point, we went up to another ashram, even higher up in the Himalayas, called Chilianola. And we got to have a reading with the main teacher, this 92-year-old guru there. His name was Shastraji. And, uh, you know, they told us, prepare, prepare. You get three questions, right? So really, you know, prepare yourself. You know, use your questions well. So, of course, I spent the whole night, you know, agonizing over what's what's a good question to ask right so i get to the my my appointment and there's an interpreter because chastity doesn't speak english and um so i asked my i can't even tell you what the questions were now but i asked the question and shastraji just is looking at me and he's talking to the interpreter and the interpreter says shastraji says you think a lot <laughs> okay so in my Western mind frame, because I'm really new on my spiritual path at this point, right? I'm still like Miss Corporate America. My spiritual, my Western mindset was like, oh, thank you very much. You know, <laughs> I think a lot because in the West, you know, in school, we're, we're taught like who has the answer first and who's the best thinker. In most Eastern traditions, you're trying to get out of your head and st- stop thinking, right? So really, I was home a, quite a while before I realized that his you think a lot wasn't a compliment. <laughs> 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 it was a spiritual diagnosis, you know? <laughs> there you go. Um, so like you say, but it was gentle. It wasn't... Uh, it wasn't confrontational. It wasn't, you know, stop, you know, how you're doing it is wrong. It was just more of uh, uh, him noticing what was true for me at that point. You think a lot. And so in the midst of all this, as you move along, uh, then you don't you don't go lightweight. You add Saima to the mix. Yes. So at some point, you know, uh, I'm integrating all these different experiences. And by after my trips to India took me, well, the first one took me more than a year really to integrate. And it was so out of the box from anything I'd ever experienced before. But then I'm moving along and having more experiences. And I'm still working in corporate America. And I start attending Spiritual Life Center and being on the board of trustees because, you know, running, you know, the business business is what I know how to do on a practical level. Um, and I decide, I see some other people pursuing this interfaith um, minister training. And I'm thinking, oh, I, I would love that. I love different cultures and places. So um, I'm on the board of trustees along with my friend, Dave Lyman. And I decide I'm going to go to this interfaith seminary. And I just have this sense that maybe I'm not the only one. And so one board meeting, I said, I'm going to do this. And is there anyone else interested? And lo and behold, <laughs> there was at least one other person interested. <laughs> the fight well, of you my mentioned life. that at the beginning. That was the fight of my life. I went home after you had said that, woke up in the middle of the night with the knowledge I was going to go and the other part of me going, well, no, no, not me. God, you must be talking to my neighbor. No, 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 as I filled out the application. <laughs> yes, and our our journey has been so sweet. So but, uh, so we went to, you know, two years of training, and you and I had some adventures traveling back and forth at the end of the year to to New York to Manhattan to for the end of the year, end of the each year's testing and our ordination and all that. Uh, but um, just a few weeks before we were going to go get ordained, I can remember kind of praying one night. And when I pray, I I kind of talk to a lot of different people, you know, Mother Mary, <laughs> Jesus, Baba G, you know, there's a whole gang. But um, I remember thinking about Baba G and saying, you know, I'd really like a divine mother teacher, but I'd really like one, you know, that's still in the body so I can actually talk to her. And sure enough, as these things work out, a few days later, one of our other classmates, Glenn Sterling, is telling me that he's working with this 
um, guru, this uh, Hindu woman named Sai Ma, and and his very colorful, you know, he was an ex-football player. He said, I feel like I'm a freaking disciple when I'm with her. <laughs> I thought, well, that sounds interesting. So sight unseen, I signed up to go to my first weekend uh, kind of retreat with her in Colorado. And I walked in and there was a big bookstore set up and, you know, it wasn't quite time to go into the room yet. And I'm thinking, am I in the right place? And I walk into the bookstore and the first book I see is a book about Babaji, who is the teacher in India that I, you know, whose ashrams I was at, um, you know, back in uh, 1996. And I'm like, okay. And then I walked in the room and Saima started talking, you know, this little petite Indian woman who was so incredibly powerful and loving. And um, she started talking about, you know, love and all kinds of other things. And I just was like, I am in, I am home. I'm in the right place. And so I've spent many years with Saima, many retreats, um, you know, really learning more spiritual practices that uh, really, you know, in India, I can do the RT and be part of their traditions, but I learned spiritual practices that I could really use in my day-to-day life in the United States. And so meditation and chanting and um, uh, other things, but really um, learned that chanting is a really powerful spiritual tool for me because you can't think when you're chanting, especially when you're chanting full out. So you shut off the monkey mind and you can have some really powerful experiences and transformation chanting. Like I went to, um, in 2016, I went to Japan with Saima and a few hundred of her other students. And at one point we chanted the OM um, and in this big national park at the foot of Mount Fuji, um, d- as part of this ritual, these rituals we were doing, we chanted Om for over four hours continuously. And I had such a transformation. I really had a, had um, an awakening, you know, just from that experience where for weeks I was really in an altered state. Uh, of uh, surrender and bliss. And uh, so she taught us these really practical skills that really advanced my spiritual practice. And and to this day, you are still exploring. So uh, one of the things is, you know, we we could double this podcast and go for a long time. But a couple questions for you. One, is there a particular question you would want to make sure we asked you this morning so you could answer it? Yeah, you know, um, thanks for sending me the questions ahead of time because I just have been blessed with so many experiences at some point. You have to, you know, have to winnow it down. But I think the question is, you know, what was I looking for and and did I find it or did I find myself? And how would you answer that, dear? So I think all the experiences and practices contribute to, you know, that happening. I had a defining moment um, at a, a Unity Ministers Conference in Detroit. And there were, you know, s- several hundred of us in a room. And Jean Houston was uh, the speaker. And she led us through a, a meditation, and at one point she had us uh, come face to face with our spiritual self. And uh, for you know, again, you know, the room was full of really beautiful energy, and uh, along with everything else, I really, in that moment, experienced myself, myself with a capital S, right? And uh, you know, a lot of the words I'd been hearing for you know, decades that, um, you know, what you're looking for is, is already within you. 
Um, and I knew that, you know, conceptually, but in those moments in that space, I truly experienced myself as the, the self, the I am, um, and, uh, was in such a state. I just, as things ended, I just, um, uh, cause I was in such a subtle state of, uh, bliss really that I just kind of went back to my room and I just wanted to just be gentle and stay in that state. And again, um, you know, really experience that state of freedom, uh, at a very high level for a long time. But then, you know, as we get back into day-to-day life and things, it, it starts to shift a little bit. But what I'll say is that after a few of these experiences like that uh, on my quest, that I realized, you know, we're all we're all just small town girls and boys trying to find our way home. And um, although I've I still consider myself a small town girl, although I've been around the world and done a, a lot of things. Um, at, at my, you know, this physical part of me, that's that's who I am this lifetime. Um, and that everything, it's a full circle. It's like everything is energy, light, sound, and movement, just like what I discovered when I was a little girl. Um, but it's like you forget it or you don't understand how fundamentally true it is. And so I've had these adventures and I've remembered. And so now I don't really so much consider myself a seeker because I've stopped. I've, I, I found myself. So I'm not seeking and, um, yearning or, um, striving anymore. Um, now it's about remembering and focusing and, feeling the appreciation and mostly deep, deep gratitude. And and it is that wondrous thing, which is part of our connection. I, I have been in that workshop with Gene Houston and done that meditation. And, and it it's that point in time when you get to the place where the personal connection of you with everything is so deep that it's just a case of remembering and forgetting and remembering and forgetting and remembering. And the remembering is so precious and sweet. And as a grandmother, that that remembering can be holding the hands and looking into a grandchild. Yes, I love being a grandmother and seeing life through their precious eyes, you know, experiencing it all as new once again, and just uh, playing outside with them because I really do experience my connection with all that is so easily in the beautiful temples of nature. Perhaps we're not thinking so much. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely true. And so out of all of this, uh, we are so thankful that you have done this with us today. What what surprised you the most? Hmm. Does it need to be earth-shaking? You know, I guess I was surprised the most that it really is within all of us that there isn't some big thing anyone has to do or be that really we are all these divine beings and um, we don't have to, you know, back to Catholicism, the downside, we don't have to earn anything uh, or do, we don't have to earn our way to heaven (laughs) that we can create it, you know, right here, uh, right now. Uh, by our our choices and thoughts. And it's just as simple as that. It's just choose a loving, happy thought and be kind. So it's it's much simpler after all the journey. And I wouldn't trade any of it 
and I wouldn't trade a moment of any of the journey, but, um, and sometimes you have to go out there and do all that to come back and, um, really appreciate home. It is so much saying yes. And saying yes, open heart, open mind, step forward. And off we go. And off we will go. Oh, the places we will go. <laughs> As the Grateful Dead said, said, what a strange long road it's been. <laughs> and oh, the uh, friends we will make along the way, David. Amen to that. <laughs> Amen to that. So, podcasters, we are so thankful you have joined us today with Reverend Christine Bowden. As we've wended our way through her journey and the excitement ranging from river rafting to ashrams to Stonehenge with a Hawaiian shaman. Um, all of them seemingly working seamlessly in the, the weaving of this loom that is her journey. And each of us have that kind of a loom. Um, we will be thankful for next month. We're going to be again talking to someone, um, and we would ask that you join us, Interfaith Connection. Uh, we do have two field trips, just to let you know, coming up. We are going to be visiting on August 27th at 2.30, the Mosaic Law Congregation, uh, the original longtime um, rabbi there has retired. And the new rabbi is going to be showing us through. He's been there a year. And then in September, we're going to be going down to the Elk Grove Multicultural Festival and spend a day joining in with Interfaith. So join us and uh, keep reading our newsletter. And Reverend Christine, keep doing what you're doing. Thank you for joining us today to explore a deeper understanding of our interfaith look at the world. This 2023 podcast will be aired the fourth Thursday of the month on Spiritual Life Center's website, slcworld.org, under Interfaith Connection Podcasts. You can also listen to our previous 24-plus podcasts at this same location. And we want to hear from you. So send us your comments, questions, or suggestions to me. That's Rachel Lyman at rachel24 at surewest.net. That's R-A-C-H-E-L-2-4 at S-U-R-E-W-E-S-T dot net. And let us remember as we go along our different paths that Gandhi once said, a peaceful exploration of all faiths is our sacred duty. Namaste.